Hi friends, welcome to Co-Parenting Past Chaos, a podcast about marriage, divorce, and the crazy adventures of co-parenting with your hosts, April and Lauren. Join us each week as the wife and former wife of the same man discuss a topic straight from their personal experiences of what it takes to forge and maintain a positive co-parenting relationship while collectively co-parenting six children. Welcome to episode 55. This week we discussed a sensitive, however extremely relevant topic, mental health. More specifically, motherhood and mental health. In our blog this week, we covered postpartum depression and what we would say is maybe a situational depression. And what we're referring to is just a period of time in your life that causes you such extreme stress and sadness that it leads you to be in sort of a depressive state. Also in our blog, Lauren and I discussed briefly our experience with these matters and especially our experience in motherhood and divorce, having stress and anxiety and even depression. It was once something that was very hush-hush, but today Americans around the world are much more outspoken about mental illness. Lauren and I wanted to touch on this topic for several reasons, the main ones being to put a spotlight on the fact that depression does not make you a bad mother, and more importantly, that it's nothing to be ashamed of. Depression affects over 18 million people per year, and it is the primary reason why someone commits suicide every 12 minutes in the United States. Joining us today to discuss her struggle with depression is a young woman that is not only very special to me and to Lauren, she happens to be my youngest daughter. Taylor is almost 21 years old, is married to an amazing young man, works a full-time job, and has the most perfect baby boy I've ever seen. However, I could be a little biased because he's my only grandson, but I'm absolutely obsessed with him. First of all, Taylor, we wanted to say that we appreciate you being here with us today. And second, we want you to know how much we admire you and how brave you are for being vulnerable and willing to share your story with us. So welcome to the show. Thanks. All right. We're aware that you suffer from depression, but can you tell our listeners what you've been formally diagnosed with? Um, I've been diagnosed with a couple things. I was diagnosed with bipolar two disorder um, and PTSD. Okay. Did they tell you what the PTSD was from specifically or... Um, from past traumas okay. to two situations. Okay. Well, I'll tell you as your mom, I can say that I believe your depression began very early on in your life. I can remember as young as four years old, just thinking that I hate to say normal because there's no normal. Nothing's normal anymore. Nothing is normal. normal is non-existent. <laughs> but something just was a little off. You just weren't ever happy (laughs) and I know that sounds terrible but she just wasn't a happy baby she wasn't a happy toddler she just wasn't a happy child it came out the womb with depression (laughs) (laughs) I think so no but you just didn't it was either extreme happiness or extreme anger and that's the bipolar disorder yeah it's mental illness isn't it (laughs) (laughs) illness did you ever think like did you ever guess this did you ever know like think that that's what it could be. When no, and I know this is terrible, but we would joke about, you know, because I, I mean, you know, this was 20 years ago. Whatever. Back then, like mental illness was such a it's like, tough, non-talked yeah. about it's thing. Right. So we just would tease like, oh, Taylor, you know, we're kind of scared of Taylor because she could just lose it at any minute. Mm-hmm. They used to say that they would lock their doors. Yeah, we would lock our doors at night. At night. Wait, was that real? That's not a joke? No, that's serious. Oh my God. That makes <laughs> me feel awful. You were scared. <laughs> um, but she, she just was... You could just tell that there was just something that was in her that just wasn't like other children, you know? Yeah. 
how comfortable are you or how comfortable do you feel discussing what you think was the cause of your depression as a child? Um, I'm, I'll talk about it. I very much want to be an advocate for um, things like that, especially childhood trauma. I feel like it's not talked about because people are scared to tell their stories. I'm not scared at all. I have came to terms with it. It happened when I was three, my first traumatic experience. I remember it very vividly, which is so weird because that's so unheard of as somebody with childhood trauma. Most like psychiatrists will say that the brain blocks out traumas like that. But for some reason, I remember it detail for detail, word for word, every bit of it. I have flashbacks of it. I still have nightmares of it. But when I finally sat down with you and my father, Jerry, and you guys told me about it when I was 14, I finally addressed it to you guys because I had been having nightmares about it for years. And I remember talking to Haley about it a million times, talking to dad about it, and then mentioning it to you and you kind of finally sitting me down, you and dad both sitting me down and telling me, hey, this actually happened to you. I grew up thinking that I don't even know what to call it. I guess like a sexual assault or molestation. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into too much detail, but that happening at such a young age, I didn't really think it was real. I thought it was just nightmares, like these weird dreams I had, but finally addressing it with you guys kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember taking it super hard. I was 14. This was a good 11 years after it had actually happened. So I had time to process it by myself doing the what ifs it actually happened. It's not just a dream, but having it kind of fall down and you like a ton of bricks. I took it hard, but I've, it's been seven years about just about seven years since I found out about it. And I'm in counseling now. I start trauma therapy this month, actually, which is super awesome. I feel like I'm kind of tackling the issue head on, getting over it. It's, takes time it takes a lot of time which stinks but it makes you feel like stronger than everyone around you because you've been through so much and honestly the way that I think of it when it happened Haley was in the same room as me and what I think of is how lucky that I am that it was me and not her because I love my sister with all my heart and I couldn't imagine hearing her go through something like that because it sucks and it has affected a lot of my relationships and friendships and my life in general so it makes me feel better knowing that I feel like I, in a way, saved Haley, that trauma, and kind of took it from her. So in that way, I feel lucky, as lucky as you can be in a situation like that. But that's kind of, I try to look on the positive sides of it. The fact that you can even come up with a positive is pretty incredible in, its, oh, it's in taken itself. Years. I mean, <laughs> it's but taken years. you're still so young. I mean, there's women, I, even for April and I, we've had traumas that we've still probably, it's hard to process and face them. I couldn't imagine doing it at 20 years old. I know I probably wasn't equipped for that type of positivity and, and mentality, which probably sparked a lot of my crippling depression later in life Absolutely. because you have trauma after trauma on top of that of just being, you know, divorced and a mother and postpartum or any anything that happens in life and you go back to that initial trauma that you've probably never healed from. So you're doing amazing healing now. I find it affecting me being a mom a lot too. I find it affecting me being able to leave Ty with people. It makes me very scared. I feel comfortable leaving him with family, of course, but if I even walk into the other room while let's say like one of my friends is there, I get nervous. If I leave tie with anybody who's not family I get so scared I will rush what I'm doing and get home immediately I don't want anybody to change his diaper ever even as especially as a newborn I'm I know that everyone saw I would not let anybody change his diaper I would barely even let Dalen change his diaper does that give you anxiety like do you have anxiety from oh absolutely absolutely Uh uh-huh I I 100% have anxiety from it I don't want that to happen to my child I will lose my mind (laughs) I really will I am so scared because I know that there's bad people in the world and as much as it sucks to say there really is 
is just bad people in the world and you can't help what other people do sadly but I get but so nervous. Mom, you can do as much as you I, can. Oh, absolutely. So I, you have to be a little bit of a shelter parent or a bubble child. That's how I... I'm always, a helicopter parent, 100%. Yeah, my mom was, too. <laughs> I will say this for again. That's so brave of you because, like Lauren just said, there are women that have had horrible things happen to them that will probably go their entire lives without ever telling anyone about it or even mentioning it or talking about it to themselves or a therapist or what have you. Being able to say that to millions of people that will listen is really admirable. And I will not make this about me any piece of it, but I'll say as your mom that it's very painful to hear you say the things that you say because as parents we do what we think is best and we listen to people that we feel are in higher authority or are more educated than we are so when this happened to you at a very young age and I believe you were only two and a half you may have just turned three years old when this happened of course you know we contacted authorities you went to the hospital and we did what we were told to do and what we were told at that time by a therapist and doctors was that you were so young that chances of you remembering that that happened to you were slim to none so we were advised to never speak about it after we leave the hospital that day we don't speak about it and you did we had detectives because we lived here in North Carolina when this happened but it happened in Tennessee when you were visiting our family and it was by a family member and when you came back and we found out the detectives from Tennessee came down to North Carolina to interview your dad and I and you had to pick this man out of a lineup and after that day we just were told never to speak about it again and we didn't it was just this big dark family secret that nobody talked about I always told everyone do not bring this up never speak about it to Taylor because I just imagined that what they were telling me is true she's not going to remember it so let's pretend it never happened of course as a mom you can never forget that something like that happened it was the, it was a terrible thing for to know that your child went through but I'll tell you the day that a couple of days before we talked to you, your dad and I did Haley came to me and said mom I had this dream and I told Taylor about it and she's been having the same dream, but it was the exact thing that happened to Taylor. And like Taylor said, they were both in the same room when it happened and Taylor was in diapers. So for you to not want anyone to change Tyler's diaper, it really, I mean, it resonates. It yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Like I said, I remember everything detail to detail. So the f idea of somebody changing Ty's diaper gives me great stress yeah. absolutely um and the thing with Haley and I I literally 100% believe that Haley and I are like past life <laughs> in a past life don't know what how or when but we are so connected like super connected and it's crazy to me because when I Haley was the first person I went to about it I talked to her about this in Hawaii before like years before I even addressed you and dad about it. She was telling me that she had the same exact dream. And that is what sparked the, hey, is this real? Did this actually happen? This mm -hmm. isn't just a dream. Like, what, what's going on? What is happening? You know, I think that in a way we're kind of joined because of the, the joint trauma. I know that she feels guilt for it, too. And I tried to talk her down and tell her that it's not her fault. But it's hard when, you know, if I was the other way around, I probably would feel the same amount of guilt. Okay, this is a weird question, but I just have to ask. So, because this was a dream that you ended up, I guess, that brought this whole thing to light, do you feel like your sense of reality, even now, is is hard to find sometimes? Because you found the truth in a dream. Oh, absolutely. And now I 
tried to pick things for my dreams and take them into real life. I know that sounds so weird. No, it's not. It's fascinating. That's but what if I'm I, asking. Have you ever heard like the, your dreams are telling you something mm-hmm. like if your teeth are falling out, that means you're stressed, stressed or my, one of my coworkers says that she has a dream where she's pulling gum out of her mouth. Like just, wow. and it, she keeps pulling gum out of her mouth and apparently she looked it up and it means that she wants to say something, but she's holding it in. <gasps> it's so, That's it's so weird, but I, I love the idea of what could your dreams mean? I'll think to myself about something and it'll be like a memory. And I say that in quotations and I'll be like, is that actually a memory or was that a dream? Cause yeah. I have such a vivid, vivid dreams. Like I swear I dream in color. I really do. Your aunt has those too. And we always pick on her for having those vivid dreams. Yeah. yeah. And we say those weren't real. And she'll be like, it did happen. No, I think you were just dreaming it. No, seriously, it's it's crazy because sometimes, like, you ever have those dreams where your significant other cheats on you? Yes, yes. And we both and we and then the next day I don't speak to John (laughs) because of what he did in my dream. Exactly. Wake up and you're like, how dare you cheat on me in my dream? And they're like, but honey, I didn't, I didn't do that. The dream you did. But like that lady was so pretty in my dream. Crazy because I've had dreams. I have very vivid dreams, and I'll have them. And sometimes it's about a very uncomfortable topic or something that has happened, but it puts me at ease the next day. So it's almost like your dream that you had, as terrifying as it was, because it's an actual memory, it's basically you knew something happened to you. Um, Did it bring a peace because at least you could connect that part of your life? Do you think you were always kind of dealing with that trauma as a child, even though you didn't know specifically? Oh, absolutely. I would have that dream at least once a week. And sometimes I would have it days in a row. And I feel like... And it would be the same thing over and over again. It would be the same exact thing from start to finish the whole entire situation. And I feel like me having that dream is what kept the like memory alive I Mm -hmm. guess is what kept me from forgetting about it which kind of stinks in a way but in a way it's good because I want to be able to advocate and be able to talk to people about their situations and be like hey you can come you can come up from that you can you can heal from that like you don't have to let that define you as a person or let that define your mental health mental health is such a big thing and especially when you go through traumas it can really screw up your mental health it can really hurt you and it can really tear you down especially going through a second sexual assault in your life which happened only a couple weeks ago a couple months ago it kind of sparks up the memory again and that's exactly it, it what PTSD will do you yeah. feel like you've taken I feel like it's taken me 18 years to get past what happened to me before and I feel like it tore me down a notch but I'm trying to let it not let it get me down but it's hard when you feel like okay when does lightning strike in more, in a place more than once yes it's You're crazy confronted with it again absolutely and you it sparks the dreams again it yeah. sparks the flashbacks and the panic attacks and the mental breakdowns it sparks it all and it sucks but once again you can't let it tear you down and gotta get up i can so relate to taylor um i had a sexual assault happen to me last year and as being a 32 year old woman and it not I, you know i hadn't experienced one since i was in my early 20s i didn't realize that you still hold it and how I took it out is how my how I cope my coping mechanism is to shell up and just become like I'm just I'm just here as a human being in a body but I'm not really here and that's what I did too I did that for about two months after it happened and then it happened again and that's when I just broke down and I actually ended up in checking myself into a facility because I was really, really struggling, which is never a bad thing. It's always a good idea to like, reach out for so help. I am so proud of you for that. And because I, when you, this happened, um, I was around for it, you know, and I remember the day 
I was almost a little envious because I wish that I had done that. I had been in those dark places exactly like that years ago. And I wish that I would have just gotten out of my own head for a minute and said, I need help, help Mm -hmm. like the real kind. Do you know what the biggest thing for me that encouraged me to get the help that I needed was Ty? I grew up with a mom who I know my mom struggles with her mental health. I know she does. Everyone does. There's You won't find one person who doesn't struggle with mental illness. But she was so good at not really putting up a front per se, but staying strong for us. And I want Ty to look at me and be like, wow, my mom struggles a lot with her mental illness, but she is doing great. She's doing awesome. It actually reminds me of this one poem that Allie showed me when I was suffering with some suicidal thoughts right before I checked myself into the hospital me and her had um dinner together and we were sitting in my car eating this was when the quarantine first happened so we couldn't sit inside anywhere so we were sitting in our car and we were eating and she shows me this poem and I can't exactly remember what the poem is called but it was saying don't kill yourself today because you need to finish your shampoo conditioner at the same time don't kill yourself today because you left your meat to defrost in the freezer or in the fridge or whatever and that she kind of explained to me you need to find a reason as sad as it sounds your reason should always be you yes but you if you need to find a reason you need to find a reason to stay alive and you need to pick that reason you need to hold on to it focus on that one reason of why you need to be alive today and mine is always Ty it's always I need to be alive because Ty needs a mom that is exactly how mine is I think as moms that is the one beautiful gift we have Mm -hmm. is when you are suffering from mental illness or suicidal thoughts you have a gift to hold on to hold on cling to it I clung to the fact that I was the mom of those boys and they were not going to grow up without a mom until I mean it just it got me through the darkest times in my entire life and I'm so proud of you for coming forward about it and seriously holding on to Ty I mean that's that's amazing and a lot of people need to hear that Absolutely. This went really a different way than I imagined because I didn't think that you would want to talk about these things. So I do want to ask you a few questions about that, if that's okay. Absolutely. I always had regret, and I think your dad did as well, that we should have not maybe hidden so much from you. You can't go back and change the things that you did. And we, like I said before, we did what we thought was best. Do you feel like if we had told you about it when you were a child or talked about it more in your early childhood that as a teenager when we did have to sit down and have an even more difficult conversation with you because you lived that and that's the worst thing that can happen but as parents when something terrible happens to your child and you're not there to protect them because this is your only job on earth when you're a parent is to make sure that you protect your children at all costs and Lauren and I both are and there are so many moms and dads out there in the world that are literal sharks we will eat you for hurting our children I will attack a bus driver when he says something nasty to one of my kids for real so imagine something terrible like this happening but we did call a therapist and get professional advice on what we should say and how we should handle when we did speak to you after you started asking questions so do you feel like we should have handled things differently and maybe talk to you about what happened when you were younger if I could give one single thing of advice to somebody who is maybe going through the same thing or has a child or that is going through the same thing that I did I would probably suggest to talk about it it's okay to talk about it face it head on you got to face the problem head on I was in counseling for years I can't remember a time where I wasn't in counseling if I'm being completely honest with you which is there's nothing wrong with that therapy is an amazing thing it's therapeutic if you will But I think that the best thing is to face the problem head on. Maybe 
don't tell them when they can't comprehend, but when I got to 10 or 11, when I was starting to comprehend things around me, and that's probably when the nightmares kind of got the worst, it's best to just talk about it. Talking about it will help you. You, you can't get over something unless you talk about it unless you face it head on that's the best way I can explain it is to just get over it like get over it by talking about it let me ask you this if you had had those dreams so often in your childhood why didn't you come to us sooner and ask us about it I mean I was scared I didn't know what that was I didn't know what sex was or sexual things were. That's because your mom doesn't like to talk about that. Mm -hmm. My mom sheltered me very much. My dad did the opposite, but my mom sheltered me very much. I still Um, don't like to talk about that. I still make jokes about it just to make her uncomfortable. It's really funny. Yes, she does. Uh, I do too. (laughs) But I didn't know what that was, so I didn't know that it was something bad. I thought it was just a nightmare. And I remember talking to like elementary school friends about if they have the same exact dreams and they'd be like, uh, no. (laughs) And I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, me neither. Um, and you, their parents, when they went home and told them, probably said, stay away from that creepy kid, Taylor, that only talks about sex dreams. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's probably what they thought it was. But it, little did they know it was the childhood trauma and knocking. Did you ever think that it was it was real? I did. I you really did. did. I But I didn't know how to bring it up to anybody. And I talked to Haley about it before, but I didn't talk to her about it until we were in high school because I had struggled with it deep down so, for so long. But they got really bad in high school. That's when they peaked. I would have the most vivid every day, like night after night. I wouldn't be able to sleep. That's when my insomnia got so bad. You know, hormones. Your hormones are raging and you're probably ready to face trauma, you know, and deal with it at that age. Of course, when you're younger, you're not equipped with those tools at all. But, oh my gosh, that just... That's when you figure out what sex is and, oh my God, that happened to me and I was how old? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not... You're not supposed to have sex that young. You're not supposed to do anything like that that young. You shouldn't know anything. You shouldn't have sex until you're at least 35, Taylor. Says the one with the child. (laughs) 14. And the other one with the child Always bring up my past. I don't appreciate (laughs) this. Why are y'all living in the past? Why are you living in the past? Taylor, do you remember the first time you went to therapy or not the first initial appointment I mean just the first time we put you in therapy I do I remember the place because Jackson went to therapy there as well it was the same exact place and I remember different therapists different therapists yeah I don't think that that therapist even worked there anymore which is sad because I would love to have like an actual conversation with her I remember she used to give me toys after each visit and I remember she made at that point I think we just thought I had anger issues because I was a very angry child like you had mentioned before and I remember at that point she made me name my anger (laughs) I think that's what we laugh because it was funny and we did not. And I feel so terrible because we didn't understand mental illness. I mean, my whole family is crazy. So and we joke about that's how we handle. And Lauren, you can relate to this. We handle things in a a comical way. I mean, we I cope with humor. So right. We cope with humor. My mom copes with humor. I cope with my sister. We all cope with humor. So when when she came home that day from the therapist, she says, Mom, the therapist told me that I should make a name for this person in my head that makes me do bad things and we're like oh dear god she's got like multiple personality disorder she really is going to hurt us in our sleep but it, she named this thing mean mark you know where that name came from Let me no because i remember for some reason i remember there was this kid in my i think i was in second grade he was in my second grade class his name was mark and he was a quiet kid he was so calm and collected 
So I named after him. I don't know why. I couldn't tell you for the she life. Really of me. wanted to be that. I wanted to be comic collected. I wanted to be normal. If normal was, was a thing, if normal was a thing, it was Mark. It really was. Mark, if you're out there, <laughs> I shout out to Mark from second grade. <laughs> shout out to me, and Mark from second grade. I wanted to touch on something you said really quickly about making a joke about when you have mental illness because this speaks to me. Those friends or those people in your life, you know, that are the hilarious ones, the funny ones, the life of the party ones. Often those are the people that have the deepest, darkest pieces of depression. Absolutely. I will make a joke about everything, but internally I suffer from depression very, like very heavily. I mean, I remember when I was, April and I are in a courtroom getting ready to have a protective order granted over my sexual assault case and I'm cracking jokes the whole time like it's you know we're just gonna go have brunch afterwards and it's sick but if I don't I'm going to I will stay inside my brain and those I I call them demons that's absolutely that's that's what what I are voice mine as and they will take over and I I will not be able to control them again the only way I can control those has been through humor absolutely as awful as this sounds Allie will vouch for me because Allie is my best friend. I'm with her 24-7. I make constant jokes. If somebody's like, oh my God, why did you do that? I'll be like, oh, it's the childhood trauma. It's awful. That's and how I do with daddy issues. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, you're right. I make daddy issue jokes. I don't even have real daddy issues. My daddy issues are the fact that I have three you have dads. too many dads. I have too many dads. If anybody needs one. Again, her mother is sorry. If anybody needs one, I will be more than happy to give one of my three fathers away. But it's, it's the jokes. I make so many jokes. The childhood trauma jokes are endless with me and it sucks, but that's how I cope with it. That's how I find, you know, you find a, a positive, a, f- a humor yeah, in the situation. It's a way to actually talk about it without having to be serious and really get into those dark thoughts, but you are letting it out. It's it, not maybe. The, and it does take yeah, time. Right now I want to cry, but we're just laughing about. That's exactly. It. That's depression. how you, you want to cry laughing tears instead of real tears that's what you make yourself yes and it does take time to get to the point where you can joke about it because i know that right now i can't joke about the one that happened to me a couple months ago because it's so fresh it's such a fresh wound hasn't quite healed whereas the childhood trauma is a scar it's a scar that happened years ago and i've really moved past it i mean it hits me sometimes and it hits me hard but you cope with humor that's the best way to go about it is to just cope with humor i told you this a long time ago when um, we were talking about ways, um, self-help and self-care ways. And when I'm depressed, I watch stand-up comedy. Oh, And yes. it has to be the darkest I love dark watching Friends. That's my humor. depression. That's my depression joke. I don't, or my depression show. I don't know why. And they took Friends off of Netflix. I'm still upset about it. But we always have those go-tos and mine is dark humor so i can relate to that but check on your friends that are the that are happy making jokes yes, about their traumas they're actually probably the ones that you know they're we, suffering we do need, they're yeah we do need the prayers and the love still so taylor let's jump ahead a couple of years to your adulthood did the circumstances around you becoming a mother affect your mental health absolutely i suffered really bad with postpartum depression and anxiety that's when i initially started going back to counseling and back to therapy and back on medication is because I was off my medication for a very long time from my, the end of my senior year to the time that I became a parent, which was a solid like two years, which was not that long. But I took a break from medication because I thought I could handle it. And I did really well until I had type because it's that's a whole huge shift of emotions. That's a huge life change too. you go from only kind of taking care of yourself to now you're responsible for a whole human life. And it's a lot of responsibility, especially at 18. 
it was not what my friends were doing. They were, they were going out and partying. They were drinking. They were in college. I was doing online classes for college and taking care of a baby and cleaning poop off of babies' backs and babies' butts and getting poop out of hair and getting throw up off of my clothes and trying to scrub the throw up out of my weak, old, not washed hair. I was... It was hard and it wasn't so much depression as it was anxiety because I was so scared for anyone to hold my child or anything to have my child. I would have once again vivid nightmares about Ty falling out of his car seat or rolling off the bed or suffocating. It's like mom got us a, a monitor that yeah. it was like a plate that went underneath his bassinet mattress and it would beep and go off if he stopped breathing. And we use that thing religiously, but it went off and I started bawling, like bawling tears, real tears. And Dalen was kind of laughing it off because he thought I was laughing and I started crying and I was just bawling and I had a C-section. So it was really hard for me to get up. And there were so many times where Dalen would be like, babe, just lay down. Like I got the baby. I'll change his diaper. I'll bring him to you so you can breastfeed. And I just cry because I'd be like, I'm trying so hard and I can't move. And there was times when I sat up at 5 a.m. breastfeeding, crying with Ty in my arms just for no reason. I would cry in the shower. I would cry all the time. I feel like it really sparked back my mental health problems. I feel like I dealt with it a lot. And even through pregnancy, I was such a positive and happier person because I felt so empowered because I was growing growing a foot that day or I was growing some lungs <laughs> that day. Yes, exactly. That is interesting because I'm a raging loon when I'm pregnant, like really, really bad. Don't even talk to me. Nobody. Nothing I'm makes pleasant. me happy. But Taylor was the most pleasant pregnant person you've ever known. Well, I wasn't for you. I know. I wasn't angry. I wasn't like the give me ice cream or I was more of like a, ooh, I really want some ice cream. Can we please go get some ice cream? Like I wasn't the angry type. I was so empowered and I suffer with PCOS as well. So I really thought I couldn't have kids. And so when I got pregnant, I was, I mean, I of course wasn't ecstatic at first, but then I was like, oh my God, it's happening. I can do this. I can grow, I can grow life. And the thing about becoming a mom and the, for a first time mom, it's, you have this little piece of control in this world that has probably been chaotic for, I mean, for a lot of us that it has and trauma. And you're like, I have something I can now control. And, and I don't say that in a bad way, but you have the power to protect and change their environment and, and everything is in your control. So when you're pregnant, it's great because the baby is in there and it's, and it's safe. safe. You and know, so it's your safe. hormones are when you've had trauma and you're dealing with it, you're fine. That baby comes out and every what could possibly happen and go wrong starts just piling. You on start to you. realize how awful the world, the world really is. is. You do. And you don't realize that when you're just a single person with no responsibilities. No, you don't realize that. When trauma happens to a single person or when it happens in her childhood. You don't think about it happening to anybody else. No. It's like, I have it. I've got it. I can handle it. It's my trauma. Like, it's not affecting anybody else. Nothing else is going on. But you have a baby that you bring into this world and all of a sudden what I went through could possibly go and happen to this little child. Absolutely. I remember being pregnant and calling dad crying because I wasn't hormonal and emotional, but I was also going through a big thing while I was pregnant too. I got kind of abandoned a little mm-hmm. bit by Tyler's biological father. So I was suffering a lot um, then with more depression, but I remember what would stop me is I would call dad and I'd be crying. I'd be bawling my eyes out. couldn't breathe. I wouldn't even be able to talk and tell him what was wrong. And he'd be like, he, that baby hears you crying. You were going to hurt that baby's feelings because he hears you crying. And I'd stop crying immediately. I'd be like, you're right. You're right. I'm good. Everything's fine. And they can sense you. They sense your hormones. You know, Mm -hmm. they sense your emotions. I remember the many times I was crying about 
being alone and even when Dalen was in WTI and it was just me being my pregnant self I would cry and Ty would just start kicking and I would just I knew he's always been such a positive thing for me he's always been the thing that keeps me going he's been the reason that I hold on so much because he can't I mean he can live without me I'm sure but no, you but don't I don't want to think about the fact that he Never. could. I, in my Never. eyes, he can't live without me because I can't live without him. I remember when, and I want to ask you about this in a second, but when you did go to the hospital most recently and were checked in for a few days, I had Tyler and I really do hold myself together pretty well. And I don't break down very often, but when I do, I think it has been kept in so long that it really floods. And finally that evening, Tyler and I were alone. It was just he and I, and we were playing in the room. And I did break down, and I started to cry. And he just looked at me, and he walked right over with his little tiny self, and he started wiping my yep. tears. And he said, love you. <laughs> and he sat down in my lap, and it was like, oh, my God, this is the oh, best day of my life. just make your heart just, like, flutter? But Isn't then it, it the made sweetest? me hurt so bad because I thought, oh, my gosh, he's seen his mother be upset. And, I, and it just it broke my heart as sad as it sounds he has been like I said my rock I mean from him being days old he's seen me cry and that's really sad and I try to hold it together for him because I don't want him to see his mommy be sad but sometimes you really can't hold it together sometimes everything comes tumbling down and it's okay for your kids to see emotions because they need to know that those are valid emotions and it is okay to cry sometimes it is absolutely okay to get angry and get frustrated it is okay to feel every emotion it's just how you react to that emotion so he's seen me cry and there's been times where he's wiped my tears and I think he also sees when he cries I try to do the same thing give him the comfort because I know that I'd want that comfort too and Mm -hmm. I remember one time this was when I was going through a bit of a rough patch about a month ago um I remember crying and Ty came into my life and goes hi baby (laughs) and wipes my tears and gives me a kiss and just sits on my lap and he started playing with my hair he pulled my head onto his lap and was playing with my hair which is my weakness he he sees it he sees everything and he's they're very intuitive exactly and but he is very much my reason to I mean he comes up and he wipes your tears and you're done crying Mm -hmm. you're like okay you know what I can't let him see me like this I gotta start playing with him and and be happy and be the ecstatic mom that he wants to see and it really helps you kind of get over it as crazy as it sounds it's such a push you know for mental illness it's so difficult and we touched on this just briefly earlier it's so difficult for humans in general but mothers I think especially because we always tend to be so strong for everyone else it's hard for us to admit that there is an issue and it's most definitely even harder for us to ask for help so you did and you like you've said Taylor you've had these issues for most of your life what was it about this particular time most recently that told yourself okay now's the time where I have to go and get help immediately having already dealt with a sexual assault previously when I was younger and then dealing with a sexual assault as an adult it really triggered a lot of those feelings and I think that's what kind of helped me kind of tackle my past childhood trauma head on is because I went through a thing exactly like it and it was weird because this time my brain did block out a lot of it I don't remember it I don't remember it at all I remember waking up the next day and not knowing what the heck happened it triggered a lot of my past brought all of that to a head and it was scary and I 
wasn't really able to control my emotions at that point. And I just felt like everyone would be better off with me dead. And I never have had suicidal thoughts the way that I did in that time. And it was scary to me because I couldn't control it. Usually I'm able to talk myself down or even talk to somebody and have them talk me down. But everyone I was talking to, my family and friends, nothing was helping. It Nothing helped. I'm still struggling with that. I'm tr- also trying to get my medication right. So it's a, it's a process and it's I'm gonna it's going to take time. But it was scary because I couldn't control what I was thinking. It got so out of hand and that made me think, okay, I need to get help now. I need to tell somebody that I need to get help. So they forced me to get help. So I reached out to my dad. I reached out to Dalen and they kind of forced me to go, not really forced me, but they were the push that I needed. I needed somebody to say, okay, get in the car. We are going, you're getting help because if I wouldn't have gotten help, I really don't know where I would be at this point. It was so bad, but I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I'm here. So just jumping from this, if you were talking to a woman right now or, or a man that was in that situation, what piece of advice would you give them? It is absolutely okay to get help. Do not feel invalidated or do not feel like less of a person because you feel depressed and suicidal. It happens, but the best thing you can do is get help. Find that piece of something that makes you hold on and grab onto it and remind yourself constantly why, what reasons you have to to continue being alive. Life is hard. It's always going to be hard. No matter what happens in your life, you could have a perfect life. You're still going to struggle. There's always going to be struggles, but it is not bad to ask for help. It is not frowned upon. If if anything, I look at people who have gone to mental hospitals and checked themselves in and gone and got help and go to therapy and are on medications. I look at them as stronger than somebody who has almost perfect mental health, who looks like they have it all together. I look at somebody who gets the help that they need as this amazing person because they aren't worried about what other people think of them. I am so open about being on medication and being in therapy. And I'm open about talking about my traumas because I know that somewhere out there, it's going to help somebody. And it's okay to talk about it with anybody. Even if you need to talk about it with some random person on the street, you need to tell them, look, I just went through this really traumatic experience and I just need somebody to listen. I know somebody came up to me random on the street and was like, I just went through the most traumatic thing ever. I'd be like, okay, listen, go ahead. Spill the tea. That is so fascinating. You say that because I, I remember hearing a speaker a few years ago, he was actually Actually, I don't remember his name and I'm terrible with this and it's because I just have a horrible memory. He was a man that jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge, but he lived to write a book and talk about it. But the thing he said that day when he was going to jump off the bridge is he knew he was going to kill himself and he just needed one person. He took the bus or subway or whatever it was to the actual bridge. I think it was a bus. And he said when he walked to the bus stop, when he got on the bus, he just wanted one person to look at him and smile. Just one person to say hi. And he he said he was crying this whole time and he just needed someone to say, are you okay? And no one said it to him. And he got right there at the, the Golden Gate Bridge. He was getting up to jump off and he looked next to him and he thought, okay, if one, if this person will just say, are you okay? I won't do it. And no one spoke to him and he tried to kill himself right then and there I think I read that read something of his where it was like as soon as he jumped he was like oh crap like I don't want to die I 
know that for me, I've, there's been times where I've been like, if somebody will just ask me if I'm okay, if somebody will just text me right now and say, are you okay? And let me just vent. Let me just be crazy and just scream at the top of my lungs about what's going on. I always 110%. I always try to be that person. I leave my sound on my phone every night, just in case somebody calls me and needs me. I refuse to block people, even if we're not on good terms, because what if they need me? That's always how I feel because I could be that one person that can stop somebody from killing themselves. And I would love to be that. I would love, I would feel such pride to know that I helped somebody. And there's been multiple times with friends in high school and stuff that I've talked them down and I felt like maybe I played a part in why they didn't do something life-changing. I always try to take everyone's mental health into account, especially if I'm friends with them or in a relationship with them, or even just a stranger. If somebody comes up to me and is like, Hey, look, I need to talk. I don't know them that well. I'm going to listen and I'm going to give whatever advice that I can give to them to make them feel better. I always try to compliment random people just because, Hey, maybe me telling her, Oh my God, I love your dress. Maybe that really made her day. And maybe that made her walk with a little more pep in her step that day. I will say to the importance of a smile or the importance of reaching out to someone. It's because when you're having these thoughts for that person, that man who's walking down the street, ready to end his life, he is so far into his head and his thoughts that one person's smile will pull him back out. And that's that hope that he's needing. And all it takes is for you to make eye contact and, and acknowledgement to someone's existence because they already feel like they don't exist. That's why it's very easy for them to do what they're about to do. And I, I so agree with Taylor on this. If you just need to vent, I mean, I get, we get messages sometimes or I'll have women reach out to me and I'm just like, I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to sit and read and give the time because I don't know what she's going through. But if it's anything like what I've gone through, she could be sitting on her bathroom floor, crying her eyes out and just not wanting to get back up. That so, five seconds of your time that you're giving to somebody could exactly. save someone's life. That That's ounce crazy of effort. Thing. Yes. It may not seem like a big thing to you, but to them, it could be life. It could be the world. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Taylor. That was beautiful. Yeah, Taylor, we really do appreciate you being here and being so open and honest. I hope you know how important what you've done today is, because like you just said, just you sharing your story maybe gave someone else the courage to say, you know what, I've put up this front for so many years that I'm okay and I'm not okay. And I really do need to get help. Sharing your story is just the most powerful thing. And you never know who needed to hear it and how many people you could have saved just by telling your truth. Life is so precious. You are needed and wanted on this earth. God did not put you here for no reason. He makes no mistakes. So if you or anyone you know are having thoughts of harming themselves, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24-7 or you can visit them on the web at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. If you need someone to talk to, reach out to Lauren and I. We will be your support during the dark reach times. Reach out to me. I'll help you. Reach out to Taylor. Reach She'll out to help all you. of us. Anybody, just don't think that you're alone in the world. There are so many people that love you and need you, and you are special. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you so much, Taylor. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks so much for listening and hanging out with us. If you'd like to find out more about us, visit our website at www.wifestales.com. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're the first to know about all our upcoming events. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to tune in every Sunday for new episodes. We would love for you to subscribe and review our podcast. Always remember, with prayer, anything is possible. 